the very roots of eating, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. But uh, today we are going to be diving into an article by Saul Newman called Derrida's Deconstruction of Authority. But uh, before that, uh, let's go ahead and have you all uh, tell us a little bit about the show, about your show, and introduce us a little bit. And we can we can shoot oh, yeah, the we... shit before we dive into that. <laughs> oh yeah, we got to do that too. We're so, we've We're, done so many. We've done so many shows together. I'm like, I know, right? Yeah, we all know each other, right? <laughs> especially in like the past like month and a half, it's like it's like I was I was at work today, and I'm like, fuck yeah, I get to hang out with my boy Coop today. I'm <laughs> pumped. But uh, yeah, we are mandatory OT. This is Chris. Yo, this is Dave. As as they fuck around with. Oh, I, I forgot. I forgot about the fucking white trash mic holder. <laughs> The, oh yeah, this thing—it doesn't stay up. I said this the last time this was used, before this podcast was back in 2010 when I was part of a deathcore band. So this thing is like, it's taped. It's got like electric tape on, duct tape at the bottom. This is a makeshift watch washer, just kind of, because that broke a long time ago. Yeah, it's whatever. Very misogynist. Don't don't listen to them. <laughs> like every fucking hardcore band we were into. But anyway, um, yeah. Uh, we are, uh, God, intros. Oh. oh, yeah, okay, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that was, every, everything I wrote musically before the year 2014 was extremely misogynistic. Yeah, everyone Go was ahead. a shithead, <laughs> I do not condone the dumbass words that, that senior, me, senior year of high school me <laughs> wrote on paper. Um, but, yeah, we are Mandatory OT, we are the official podcast of the West Virginia IWW, um, here for all fellow workers of West Virginia, uh, Western Maryland, uh, Eastern Ohio, all that good stuff. The Ohio Valley. Uh, no, we're not anarchists. Before you ask, we we enjoy anarchists. You are our comrades. But we, we, but we um, are not anarchists. Don't don't follow us and then unfollow us because we <laughs> say good stuff about Kim Jong Un. <laughs> Fuck off. We um, Chris is much more um um vicious than i am um <laughs> no but on our show um for those who don't know who are listening to us we um i i very much abandoned the term now even in irony but we are what a lot of people would call tankies um yeah. which um is we're not online whatsoever we're really not so that's <laughs> yeah basically but yeah we are very you know we're part of the we're, we're part of an anarchist syndicalist union but not just us included, but many members of our... We have a wide swath of leftists in our yeah. union. But honestly, the majority of the most um, highly organized in our uh, in our specific um, branch or are Maoists and Marxist-Leninists. So that's been pretty cool, um, you know, working within the confines of what, we, what the IWW can bring to the table. Because we still believe in labor power. We still have a lot of synthesis with um, anarcho-syndicalism. And we do find interest in a lot of anarchism, which is why we're on here, you know, to talk about 
the specific article and why have you found an interest in post-structuralists? Because we're really more important in like finding tactics and finding ways to bring about you know the glorious revolution. And we'll look at all different kind of aspects of the left. And just so far, we found ourselves to be because we've gotten away from at least I have personally. I've gotten away from calling myself any specific tendency. The closest, <laughs> if you're going to label, if you have to label me, is I'm a Maoist. Maoist, yeah. Yeah, but that's that's not even a hundred percent either. Right. At this point. Um, yeah, we think that, that all of these kind of branches are in um, a dialectic with each other. Um, we think that in some capacity the party structure is, uh, to an extent, necessary as we combat capitalism, but also like something that uh, we find that's odd is that Dave and I are personally confederalists. Um, is your mic off? No, it's on. I'm I'm lighting up. Got okay. Signal. Okay. No, so, sorry. I wasn't hearing. I hear you now, <laughs> but I didn't hear you. But, go ahead. Sorry. Go but, ahead. You yeah. Can cut Dave, that out. <laughs> um, Dave and I are Confederalists. Um, we think that you kind of have to have like a regional, uh, local base, and then build from there, and then maybe you can create a national vanguard from this kind of Confederalism. I mean, we but we're working it out. Like yeah. I said, all these different different tendencies are in a dialectic there's, with each other. We, ha- we so. have a certain. You know, there's a. We find to sum it up real quick. We, you know, we we're we're very big fans of Stalin, but we're weirdly enough, you know, we do have similarities with like even Bookchin with the mm. with just his I want to call it Americanism. It's not, but his identity of how his his very I'm trying to think how to phrase it his American point of view of of his own style of democratic confederalism and why that's why that has to why that's the best course of route. And I think we kind of follow the same lines mm-hmm. of you know of of American regionalism and you know how America's set up and. I won't get into that Pacific, but I'm just saying we we do get from both Stalin and Bookchin, and we do have a very wide mm-hmm. swath. And Mao, and more so Stalin, but and, <laughs> and Fred Hampton. It, there's there's a lot going on. So. Just listen to our show, you'll yeah. get it. And now you'll be the first Derridian Maoist. Oh God! We'll talk. Deconstructing the bourgeois ideology itself. <laughs> but yeah, it it was. Uh, it was an interesting article um, because the way that Saul knew, what, what's it called, De- Derrida's deconstruction of authority, I believe. I don't have it pulled up because I'm a dumbass. But, um, yeah, De- Derrida's con- deconstruction of authority by Saul Newman. And um, it <sighs> something that just kind of, like, gr- I, I grappled with personally in reading this and 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 Dave might have another take on it, but something that, like, in diving into post-structuralism, as you did with us on our show, and, like, as I've, like, tried to sift through these weeds more and more because I think uh, there are incredible parts of it that do need adopted even into, like, more Marxist-Leninist, more, like, Marxist-Leninist-Maoist thought, um, is, like... The thoughts of like policing and self-policing, and uh, a more conscious look at the at the binary and how it operates, and how we are working with it and within it, and trying to uh, break from it and create like a new paradigm and building dual power, and then how language operates too. Um, The post-structuralist thinkers themselves, what gets to me the most about them is that while they offer all of these things, these great kind of auxiliary pieces to um, ideology, these tools, I'll say, while they offer all these great tools of, of critique and of how to frame things, 
it feels like so many of them are content to just kind of like hand ring over in a corner wearing a fedora saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, you're recreating these power structures, when personally I, I feel like they're just kind of full of shit. Um, there's a lot of... I, I'm a little bit more of, I know, you're, of you a can pragmatist be, and more adversarial about it. Dave can, is less, but... You can be more like anti-intellectual in a sense. Yes. Yeah. And I don't mean like let's kill everyone that has like a fucking college degree. I just think that sometimes but male hated intellectual sorry just go ahead <laughs> <laughs> dumb dumbass libs but um what what it is about like the pro structuralist and, and truthfully like philosophy for the sake of philosophy is that a lot of it is content with saying you can't do this but it doesn't in to me and maybe i just haven't looked in the right place but there is an Have, it hasn't it hasn't provided a, a thing that says maybe we can try this it doesn't provide like any kind of step to action or a way to rectify these things it's just kind of pointing them out but but there's still a very much important i just want to say real quick is there is still very much importance to that like there is a very much important to identify right. because we can always move forward right i'll pull up coop again <laughs> your face we got to see that beautiful face screen. or we can't podcast <laughs> But yeah, so that's kind of like my initial thought as I was like going through. God damn it! Google Hangouts, you click <laughs> that. There oh. we go. But yeah, that was kind of my kind of my initial thought was um, it, it's a very kind of knee jerk reaction when I dive into philosophy like this, and I am well aware of that. And like Dave said, there are valuable things to glean from these writings, which we're going to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But um, that is my initial thought before we dive in too hard. Before I forget, I think I actually, I mean, we should mention too that I did two episodes with y'all on postmodernism, poststructuralism that yeah. uh, we'll post in the show notes for sure. So yeah, wonderful we'll episodes. Get those those out. Really like, because we're still going off. Of yeah. that. that was actually our real big um, introduction to a lot of like, other than just kind of like little tidbits here and there, that was the first time we dived into post-structuralist thought. So this is also new, new to all of us, is new to both of us as well. Somewhat by this point, I guess that was a while we did those episodes. Yeah. But yeah, um, so yeah, yeah. So this is this is what makes this fun is is learning. Yeah, I, I consider myself. I think at this point, there's a slither of me that is like part Foucauldian <laughs> at this point. So yeah, to to say that Foucault hasn't impacted. Us as a unit, our our personal politics would be the trade up lie. Like, yeah, seriously, yeah, Foucault's been really important our, to us. Our, our shows, our shows with you, like introduced us really to Foucault, and and it's become integrated into into. It's also how we speak to like Jacques Bidet and really just kind of. Shut up, Siri. <laughs> Sorry, Jesus. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really helped. Yeah, it's really that. Um, also, um, I mean, this you know this recovering Derrida here, but um. Uh, I've been reading. Uh, that's right, Jacques. That's what I said. And your Siri threw me off. Jacques Bidet and um, just the other, the organizational, you know, like his talk of interpol, interpolation, and whatnot. Other things have really helped me understand and how we can improve, you know, tactics. Because that's for me. That's what I try to gauge anything when I try to read anything, specifically in leftist thought. <laughs> at this point, is like. What can we do? What's tactical? What, like, what? Because we, you know, with climate, we have an urgency exactly. right now with climate change, with everything. <laughs> and, you know, and that's so much of, like, I do get this impatience, and I think you're feeling that, too. Yeah. And, and that we just, as 
but we just want to like find not just find answers but just find i guess yeah you know or find ways to step the forward Mm-hmm. forward you know put it to the step forward but we also need to be careful with putting that step forward that we don't get lost or we don't get reactionary yeah, you you know? d- and you don't want to put you don't want to just have praxis for the sake of praxis you have to have theory with it as we've learned um y- you can't just do something to do something i mean that's 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 the beginning but you can't just continually do that or you'll make no progress because like you said yeah, we you, will, make you will eventually fall to to reactionary thought all right, Coop. Go ahead. We've stolen the show from you so far. <laughs> go. I wanted to kind of just start by getting thoughts on it. Uh, before we dive into the article, I wanted to ask you a question because I can't remember which of you had said this. Maybe in the, maybe like before we started recording one of the episodes, is uh, somebody said that they kind of could see how I think maybe specifically in the context of Foucault, like you could understand how that brought me to anarchism. Does that ring a bell at all? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think that was me when you mentioned the Iraq War. Yeah. Um, what I cannot remember well, I what exactly it was with. Why well, don't we've talked yeah. about amongst ourselves, and uh, is the fact that 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 makes sense because of the questioning of of all authority, you know, power structures. Discipline is in itself an authority. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we really see where that does, where you do see post-structuralists and anarchists hand-in-hand hand so often is because of the focus on power. Because power structures are more than what we think of repressive power. That's absolutely mm-hmm. true. And and, re- and just fighting back repressive power isn't enough. We know that through all of time. We've known that through experiment, you know, and that's so that's where I see the, the line between the two, for sure, easily. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where Derrida gets with, um, with his with, with this article with Saul Newman's interpretation of it is too is because of looking outside of hierarchical, stru- hierarchical structures that at least are not based on or a reaction mm-hmm. of current hierarchical structures. If I'm reading the article right, yeah, I th- yeah, that's definitely a, a, one of the key points that they're making. Um, just real quick, I wanted to mention too that I think um, I kind of see Foucault in particular as almost like his discourse on power is more so it's almost like a an analysis of how ideology works in a sense and what do you mean by that why oh, i have an go ahead oh, and maybe <laughs> even no 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 it's your show go ahead and to a degree maybe even derrida in just the way that okay so basically all the the symbolic the signifiers and the signifieds and all of that relationship is how like power is kind of carried in like it's within these this sort of symbolic structure so to me that's kind of what ideology almost is is it's like this sort of hidden um obscured sort of way that power asserts itself in it's really kind of baked into everything including lang- from language on up right yeah, and it's yeah, sort of diffused and it's not really this you know what i mean i don't know if that makes sense yeah no, yeah, because to me that's and when Foucault talks about like discipline and punishment, with in regards for that, that's how it's perpetuated. Like that's how the ideology is so powerful because through it being in language and through the sim- the signifiers and the signified working and constantly being in use, um, for one aspect of it is the one way it's perpetuated. So that's how I see it. Yeah, I think we talked about this even like when we got Subway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how. How on the car ride back you were talking about how, like you work with a bunch of dipshit reactionaries that are like, uh, they like 
they isn't singular and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my entire my all my co literally all my coworkers but like one had this giant conversation about people who use like me, who use they, them in the singular are quote fucking stupid. Yeah, and and it's funny because like you said, they turn around and like I use talk they talk about lawyers or whatever as they I use they singular all the time and they'll do it too occasionally and no one bats the fucking eye. Yeah. And so it's like on the nose that's such a fool of shit statement the they isn't singular um cuz i mean o- very obviously that's not how people use it but um you're kind of drawing like like you mentioned drawing that line from like the ideology uh through the language and that being the ideology being so baked in with the language and perpetuating this kind of oppression because someone like Dave is afraid to like come out in their office because that is in in some some way that is some kind of worker empowerment. You have some kind of autonomy and uh, but there's also the fear of you know coming office. out and the alienation you yeah. feel from because when you're uh, presenting yourself as beyond those power structures, beyond that ideology, then you're effectively alienating yourself from the social circle. You're alienating mm-hmm. yourself from the social sphere. Which is something to me that is as Marxist as anything on the left. We have to we we all that's something that's almost universal with post structuralists with Marxism. That a lot of things that are take above is not just as humanism and, and individual um, enlightenment terms, but what really what the good uh, uh, fracture off of liberalism that became a lot of the Marxist thought mm-hmm. and this post structural thought is so much of the focus and the importance of of social relationships and how we are social beings. And I think that plays in with. With everything, and so the a lot alienation. of our reactions and our choices are based on what, because so, we need social relationships just as much to survive as we do anything it's else. That's why solitary confinement fucking destroys people. Yeah, I mean that's wh- I've watched the Twilight Zone. I know. <laughs> and that's why. <laughs> it's why, like, I can't remember what it was I, that, like, my my like my wife's parents were talking about, but we were camping and they were talking with their friends about some TV show they saw, TV show they watched. And it was like there were four people. They were like dropped in different parts of this area. They had to like find each other or whatever. And it was like they have like 70 days to do it. Is this Naked and Afraid? I'm not sure if it was Naked and Afraid or <laughs> what. Because um, it sounded like it, but I'm like 70 days is a long fucking time. So That'd be dead after um, Yeah, and they said like it, when the people don't find each other like by day 60. They get the, shot, and that's the, <laughs> the future. <laughs> that, that they are just, me- like, you can see it on camera, that they are just mentally gone and just, like, animals. They are shells of who they were. And I'm like, I'm like, well, the issues with TV and, like, the PTSD you're and inflicting that, on these people is wild. But And that's how I see, like, what's one of the things that perpetuates this discipline and ideology is the fact of the need for social interaction, and yeah. when those are already persistent, one of the ways that it that it recreates itself is because of when it's the norm, you must recreate the norm to be part of, yeah. to be part of a, you know the the common social order. To, you know to feel like a human being, to have a basic basic necessity, which is communication. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is very like duh. I don't know <laughs> as I'm saying it, but you know it's. It's something too that I don't think is also even talked about enough. It's something I haven't really talked, or have yeah. It's something I feel like that does need brought up consistently is the importance mm-hmm. of just of just you know loving people around you. Talk like to how, your neighbor. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, talk to your fucking neighbor. Have sex with your neighbor. 
Ooh, that, if consensual if sex with yeah. your neighbor. <laughs> but what do you what do you think about? I mean, about that coup before coup before we go. Well, two two things I wanted to mention was one back to like my comment about Foucault and ideology is um, it reminds. I mean, it's very similar. If you remember, kind of the famous uh, Zizek quote about. I am already eating out of the trash can all the time. The name of yeah, that trash exactly. can like is ideology. The material force of ideology makes me not know what I am effectively eating. So I think there's a lot of overlap there between how power functions. Where, like, remember the quote about, like, we don't, we exist within power, not like it's not something outside of us. Yeah. Um, that not only are we like subordinate to like these institutions and like these more rigid structures, but there's also like the inner, like kind of like interpersonal power. Like you, like we talked about on our show, the self policing that you're always like, not just even with your neighbors or your community or coworkers, but even yourself, like where you hold back from saying, like it, it's the reason that I don't yell that Venezuela should have its own own uh, right to self governance when uh, the American when the fucking national anthem plays at a hockey game because <laughs> I know I'm gonna get my ass. You'll beat, get fucking but, shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think even also uh, like the uh, the example Dave was giving in terms of like sexuality is yeah these and this goes more so to the article itself here about how these sort of fixed identities or these like the sort of essentialism is basically mm-hmm. like a authoritarian authoritarian kind of structure itself you know what i mean like this binary understanding and like people refusing to or like saying that they can't be singular you know what i mean like according to whom according to what authority there there is no fucking authority that you know what i mean there's no essence of what they is it's just a signifier mm-hmm. right Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, and like we and we we talked about that too on on the show you did did with us the that with like these signifiers to understand what they is you have to understand you me what is a person like just all of these other kind of signifiers in order to glean some kind of like significance from the signifier of they. So it's a messy, <laughs> messy fucking web of linguistics and the power through linguistics. Jesus Christ. <laughs> no worries. Uh, but <clears throat> if y'all don't mind, I'll uh, jump in here. Um, and I just want to start out by kind of asking this rhetorically. How can we define the political project of a thinker like Derrida that in many ways I think would point out the sort of authoritarian structure of fixed definitions or categories itself, um, the very like locus of meaning that all Western sort of philosophy and thought has historically rested on. Um, those structures, you know, sort of appear to be this rational, logical system, but it's it's almost like for Derrida that the Enlightenment was kind of running this like windows overlay on top of you know what came before in terms of i guess like the theological foundations that existed prior to the enlightenment right that brought us right. reason and and, ra- and rationality etc cetera, etc cetera. 
But Derrida's like overall message is, look, the Enlightenment just kind of slapped a new coat of paint on a lot of these metaphysical ideas that evolved from theology itself. And those, so it's kind of snuck in all of this baggage and kind of claims to be, you know, using reason and rationality and so forth. But it's still in many ways infected with like this historical trend or these historical antecedents of like delving out of like Christianity or what have you. And that's, and that's what, when they're talking about, that's like the essence of God, right? Like when he talks about like how God, we, you know, God is still within our language and structures, but it's now essence or the essence of, I'm trying to. Yeah, God. No, you're right. I mean, and two, this is kind of like, uh, this is really good. This is still like, in a lot of ways, I think kind of a materialist approach, not a like dialectical materialist approach, but uh, it's almost like a philosophical um, materialism. Yeah, as opposed, like it's opposed to essences, right? Yeah, at some point, I think we even, like, said that to each other is, like, we're reviewing this. Like, I was reading one of the highlighted portions, and, and I'm like, that's that's pretty materialist there, Saul. So, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll just read the passage, and then, Dave, you can hopefully find re- rediscover the fire that we had, that passion, um, before we jerked each other off. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was the passion. That was, was the, the passion. The jerking. <laughs> The logic of supplementarity may be applied to the question of classical revolution, revolutionary politics, which centers around an essential identity. Thus, in Marx's discourse, the proletariat is a revolutionary class whose identity is essentially opposed to the political and social structures of capitalism. Might it be argued, then, that these structures are actually a supplement to proletarian identity itself, in the same way that writing is the supplement to speech? Any identity of resistance would be highly problematic if it was, in part, constituted by the very forces it professed to oppose. Derrida's critique throws into doubt the question of essential identity and whether it can continue to be foundation for political action against power and authority. Moreover, his critique of self-identity forces us to confront the fact that power itself cannot be contained in stable identities, such as the state, for instance, Rather, power is an identity that is always unstable, contingent, and diffuse. Such a great quote. That um, last line, I think, in particular. Yeah, um, I think that it, at some point, Dave and I had discussed how the I think like the big project, uh, the big revolutionary project, so to speak. So as I was saying, um, I think that that one of the, I guess, greatest parts of the rev- of this like revolutionary project is trying to figure out how, because everyone wants that like quote unquote like full communism. Like I think even even the most like. I'll say grounded or, or jaded kind of Marxist-Leninist wants that full, fully automated, like utopian um, um, communism, and so we're constantly engaging in how to get that. And I think that the one thing with kind of the the more philosophical side, as you as they like explore and dive into these things, is that like when Derrida. Um, 
says that isn't the isn't the proletariat just kind of flipping the binary and making the proletarian uh, the preferred and the bourgeois the uh, the antagonist. And they're the reason and what there's and what what I'm gathering too is the reason this happens is because when you're thinking under the systems of binaries, because one binary, even though one even though just one is preferred over the other, one still is there because of the other. And mm-hmm. so therefore, I mean, you're going to have to, yeah, you're one other side of the binary. And the reason, so, wait, let me put this in a different direction. So the reason, so, <laughs> and I'm trying to, the gears are turning. I'm, um, what, when you flip that binary, they're saying that there's going to be similarities because one is heavily influenced by the other, mm-hmm. obviously, right? Like that's because the char- it'll take on characteristics that the bourgeoisie once had because it becomes a new preferred. Is that what? Yeah, so this is, and what this is really drawing from heavily is, I think, really the idea of the master and slave morality that... Um, yeah. That Nietzsche talks about a lot in Beyond Good and Evil. So it's a similar concept of going going beyond those the the binary itself because yeah, it's like and this article specifically goes to this and when it's talking about the the place of power. So if you believe that if you if the proletariat and the bourgeoisie both believe that power resides in a specific locus then you're not really disrupting the the power structures them itself like you're just reinforcing you're just flipping that and yeah. you're not really achieving you're not breaking out of that system itself yeah so so their biggest issue with like the on the nose kind of just straight up marxist um take i suppose is that it's just a re- a recreation of that like of Nietzsche's master slave, yeah, because it's like you're oh. you're retaining the logic of the bourgeoisie in a sense, the logic yeah, of power just... and f- like the essence, like power having an essence, and actually existing as a sort of this almost like a god, like a universal signifier that yeah. everything's kind of flowing from. Like you can locate a specific point where power exists, which is. Like I said, that's just, if you believe that, that's sort of reproducing that same logic. And is this is this a dumb question or a dumb thing to say or bring up? But I when I think about like the fact that, like that, not, I mean, in the way that Saul Newman is framing it, like it's, that's not always bad because like when we're talking <laughs> about like the increased material, like I would much rather have a dictatorship of the proletariat. Because one, if a true like mass line, a true uh, worker state is going to have first in mind the material conditions of those of the masses of the masses of the working people, and the bourgeois class black, is all white. yeah, and the you know and that means you know it means all kinds of things. yeah, just all the d- the diversity of right. the masses and the bourgeoisie that also means like the class erasure, which also means because the bourgeoisie is extremely little in number compared to us. So if the bourgeoisie, you know, become the unpreferred and I don't know, pay for their crimes, that's <laughs> if instead of it being a contract, yeah, that's like okay, a, like you know. a subcontractor breaking rocks in the mines for fourteen an hour with no benefits, if it's some motherfucker in a pinstripe suit and his Cartier watch, 
I'm okay and with I that. Don't even but mean, <laughs> and I don't even mean violence. I know I said pay for their crimes, but <laughs> I don't even mean like like disregarding that conversation on its own. That's We're going to liquidate the blue um, I mean, there's other ways. I mean, uh, we will reference a podcast episode. The last one with Seriously Wrong and, Re- and Brett from Rev Left um, has a it's very good- It's not our show. It's, it's a Seriously Wrong episode. Yeah, no, it has a very good conversation about- that about side of it. About this exact thing, kind of. About, um, about the violence. But but regardless, regardless, you know, well, that's a, we're leaving that out, but just on heart, is it not important to say, yeah, but, like, we're still looking at, you know, taking over and redistributing wealth, and we're talking about, you know, publicizing necessities, and that may be, and it is, you know, even if it is a, a switching of the binary Okay, fucking fine. I don't see. This is why I have a problem with some anarchists, is because I'm like, to an extent, yes. Like to me, so much of like what I'm seeing post structures. I know we go back in these grand scan- scheme argue or conversations on this, but all the fucking time. I know, but it's and it's, but it's just like that's. I think like so much of this philosophy is so much great, and it's so like these are good things to tackle. But I constantly find myself thinking these are things that we need to tackle, like post revolution. Like this is. I- this I don't see this useful right now in the terms of achieving revolution. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where we come back to, like I said, we always want to talk about its tactics. We want to talk about getting yeah. the revolution. That's a still important conversation to have, but I find myself in that, in that trap. And that's something that's, you know, its own, you know, how that works in, how I'm it's constantly. It's its own kind of trap. Because things, that's, yeah. I'm following that trap because I'm reacting and to the bourgeois, to to capitalist ideology, to this the, immediate urgency and, and the stressors placed on our shoulders, and that's every day. why that's yeah. my response to it. So you know, it's interesting because here I am talking about like kind of against it, but at the same time, I'm just I'm just replicating that it's right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of you know it's really fascinating this this journey has been. Um, but if you got anything to say? Oh about yeah, yeah. No, I'll I'll let Coop talk first real quick. So I would say that I think that we're probably uh, we're very much on the same page in terms of there like there needs to be um, a revolutionary rupture to get things going. Oh yeah. But I think that what this is saying is more so like long term in the sense of like once we have overthrown the bourgeoisie and we are you know we're post revolution, we have to be mindful that we that we don't reproduce the same oppressive structures that that they did. And and oh, me as an yeah. anarchist, I just think whenever you're you're relying on a state or a, a vanguard or any type of group that is um, separated from the masses in any kind of way, then you're relying on them to be quote unquote good or make good yeah. decisions on behalf of the working class or the the workers or you know whomever, right? And so I think. Right. That's where I'm less um, optimistic, I think. My anarchism is very much because I'm cynical about people being in power, in- including myself. <laughs> like oh, the trappings of the pow- power, being in a, a place of power will absolutely, I think, alter. It alters your material world. It offers your, op- yeah. it alters the material conditions and perspective from which you're reacting. And so that is sort of why in a sense that like capitalism operates the way it does is because mm-hmm. there's not really like once you become wealthy, well then you just simply fall into the logic of, of capital. 
there are contradictions all throughout capitalism, and when you have, and that can also make you blind to your privilege. Yeah. Because you're still, if you have your material conditions, but you still have, you still see other contradictions that affect you under capitalism, you focus on that, and I think, you know, because when you're like that, that is a position of power, you know, having material wealth and or one form of it. And so, yeah, and I think that in turn is what makes a person blind to privil- privilege and can change their entire, you know, con- conception. And this is kind of where we do find similar ground and why I think it's important for democratic confederalism, because we do have heavy agreements with that mm-hmm. is because that can help prevent prevent that because you have, you know, more localized, you know, communities or, you know, or more can can understand the masses can be more democratic just in nature it builds kind of its own natural just mass line being yeah. being accountable to the community you're directly a part of yeah um and no and i agree with that that this is definitely more like a like i i don't think y- y- you and you and us d- do not disagree on this motherfucker with their Cartier watch breaking rocks. That is not a bad thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's something we do need to keep in mind, like as in like a post revolutionary world. Um, and I think that, that having kind of conversations like this and going through these works together is a monstrously big part of that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, we all, we, we can all be better, betterly principled, you know, yeah, we can all, we, we can always learn more. And, and like I said, engage in like this, this kind of dialectic across tendencies, unless you're a trot, fuck <laughs> you, but you're there to divide movements. There's, I've, there's some trots that are okay. Chris, you're so <laughs> angry. You gotta work on that, buddy. We're not going to be, you know, you gotta work on that. You gotta be nicer. You gotta be nice to everyone with trots, but, <laughs> but anyway, no. So, for real, like, like my fucking around aside, like I think that the conversations like this, even though like I do, admittedly one hundred percent go into works like this very adversarially because, like Dave said, I I do have a distrust like of philosophy for for what to me feels like philosophy's sake almost. Um, but that's not to discount the ideas and like the way that that you can work through them as. Um, like as people of different kind of ideas, like face to face, I think, again, we we need to fucking do this, because otherwise, if if anything does pop off, like, we're just gonna be susceptible to 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 like the reactionary hammer again. This is gonna be get fucking crushed. I just want to say something else, really, just kind of like, just kind of like something that we don't really think about. It's what's really cool, and just the form of like, you know, I talked about social relationships before. Um, this is kind of like my, inf- I do have a little influence from like the seriously wrong boys and the Fred Rogers socialism <laughs> and, uh, and like the extent like this, this, you know, what we're doing now and what, like, what is so good about, you know, about just philosophy in general is I know, again, I'm taking things real fundamentally is just the fact of like creating discussion and relationships through how, cause conversation and intellectually stimulating what we're all doing mm-hmm. here is also reproducing itself. And part of the way it reproduces itself is because of the interactions and the want of other interactions. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. you know, just to just because part of the reason why I even just going, you know, back to the basis, part of like the revolutionary project for me is like just like hanging out with my boys. You know, it's just <laughs> it's very like there's because there is and how we and this is kind of where maybe I'm kind of find a break from or you know from Derrida because Derrida is the one who talks about the importance of of literature and verse or written versus speech. 
And this is where I do see the speech as the preferred because the speech also is I, it is it is communication. It is camaraderie in the sense of, but 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 I will also look at social media and say or just internet access and say there is importance in written through that regard. But capitalism has kind of just com- commodified that and and really taken it under its own wing, which is why it's become so alienating. Mm-hmm. But there's that's. Um, because I don't think that goes much into this article about that aspect of Derrida, does he? Uh, not really, other than just kind of... I mean, it, whenever he's going in about um, writing over speech, it's really the bias within Western thought for presence over absence, like that binary opposition in yeah. particular. Um, and I've heard somebody describe it as like, um, if you're thinking about a room that has a chair in it, it's like, does it lack... Does it lack um, emptiness or is it full? It, like, is it is a room full of emptiness or is there a chair in it or like, you know what I mean? Like he's talking about, I mean, it's super, this is like extremely, extremely high level, like way up in the stratosphere, basic. I, I've like, heard this theory. The, uh, philosoph- philosophical argument, basically. It, I, I've heard it. I don't know who it was, but I've heard it and it totally fucking lost me. God. Um, but yeah, no, yeah. Um, so he's saying like there's a there's a preference, basically a really basic level preference within Western thought for there being something over over mm-hmm. nothing, like a somethingness is uh, it's assumed always, and the way that we look at things assumes like a something, as opposed to maybe you know I don't know I think. Maybe there's even like an Eastern sort of philosophical idea where like there's more. I think maybe the Eastern philosophies philosophy is more open to like absence and like things that aren't necessarily like this presence. And that's where writing is and writing is looked down upon because the speaker is not present. So that mm-hmm. that really I mean that relationship actually might clarify it a little better because. Whenever their speaker is present, then that's that's good. And if they're not present and they're just writing, it's bad because they can't clarify or they can't um, explain or, you know what I mean? You're just sort of like filling in the blanks whenever there's ambiguity in that language in the written word, uh, which is, but that yeah. la- that's also present in the spoken word, right? But this is just sort uh-huh. of something that's kind of snuck in that preference, that bias towards presence. Towards presence, okay. Yeah, because, I and I, I I thought about this, I think, independently, reading through this last night, um, that the, to have absence, um, I'm not sure if it was Barthas or, or McLuhan that said um, that, like, in writing, or in just anything creative, that the person, like, isn't there to to like explain it essentially just out and out um that like being absent the creator or the or the author um the uh for lack of a better word consumer whoever is like processing <laughs> this, create like an this, this information uncertainty like is there like a it's <coughs> it's more like they can interject their own meaning into it from their own lived experiences because i'm going to read something differently <laughs> than you're going to read something differently than Coop's gonna read something. I mean not much. We're all like white and 
masculine presented, but I know what you mean. Yeah, that's uh, I'm just that's be- probably Bart. I'm just being... uh, Roland Bart had that. His biggest thing was contri- or contribution was death of the author and saying, yeah, that. Yeah. The what the the author really doesn't matter. It's like you as the reader are creating the text whenever you're reading it because you're bringing yes your entire you know your lived experience to the text and identify. So it's the what the author thinks isn't necessarily. I think it's relevant, but it's not not in the way that I think is kind of common sense understood. Yeah, they can. I just had flashbacks. They can only to, inject uh, so much meaning into the text, so to speak. Yeah, and that meaning, as well, is also like in the li- the signifiers. There's going to be a slippage of meaning too. Mm-hmm. You know, words change meaning over time. Like you can witness that in real. Like we can see that happen, right? So, yeah, meaning absolutely. isn't really fixed. It it doesn't have. It's not an essence. It's a relationship. Mm-hmm. Really, the relationship so of signifiers, kind of like we've talked about a million times. <laughs> fucking signifiers man but yeah what were you gonna say there dave oh no nothing i was just gonna say i was just i was just gonna be like oh this is a flashback to uh poetry and drama um sophomore year of college yeah kind of yeah (laughs) because we talked about that that's all um (laughs) so yeah i think that uh like you know what i think what i need a cigarette oh my god of course um let's take 10 i'm gonna have a smoke 10 you smoking a Where, fucking clove? Where's your jewel at, my friend? I don't do jewel because I'm too cool for jewel, <laughs> and I have shut <laughs> up. I have, I have a pack of. Oh, I just dropped and a penny and a fucking quarter. I got changed my god damn it. Fucking grandpa cam- here. I have a pack of camel wides, so I'm gonna go enjoy one of those. Okay. Um, I need a smoke after this. He, he heard signifier, no, he, or he, you heard signifiers, and that was it, right? You're like, ah, I need <laughs> a smoke. <laughs> it's like Pavlov's dog from fucking Derrida over here. Well, I got any sort of, like, that is my biggest fucking trigger, is any sort of heady, any sort of conversation. I'm just like, smoke. Um, But while Dave does that, I think um, that I, I I, I mean, I agree with 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 Derrida and even Newman's kind of um, synthesis that it, in the West we do have that kind of bias toward um, the presence, like of of the of the speaker or writer or whatever. Um, but is is Derrida proposing that like we kind of go in and and tear that down deconstruct that even or is it just more so because in this piece like like we said it kind of just fleets past it relatively quickly in like a paragraph or is it more so just mentioning it in passing to like be cognizant of the fact uh, i mean i feel like it was touched on a little bit um and i think in maybe not so directly but several points in the passage and the uh, work where he's kind of mentioning I think this um, I mean he kind of does mention the binary oppositions a little bit here and there and then I think also the notion of difference as well kind of taps into it but I mean this is that's more so like Derrida's overall project 
one of the kind of like right. base ideas is that he's pointing out that bias within the Western tradition and how like that how that influences like yeah that little bitty ripple like or that ripple kind of care wait has you know consequences that ripple through everything and it makes its way through mm-hmm. through action eventually yeah um it's something else that that kind of Dave and I thought on and damn it I should have waited till till they were back but um was like in discussing to to really back paddle again discussing the kind of like recreation of of hierarchy and of authority just with like different different poles of the binary um was that marxism is ostensibly like a rupture the rupture from liberalism like you see um like the slave system and then the feudal system and then the french revolution you see kind of like the birth of of capitalism and and like from there the enlightenment and what have you and then marx observes that hey this is just everything kind of like being recreated with just different names so like on on kind of like the the surface it seems in a like in agreement with what with what Derrida is putting down about um authority and then Derrida posits that the proletarians are are just going to switch and, and oppress like the bourgeoisie um and I think that one thing that that like the post structuralist thinkers kind of neglect is the Marxism is the rupture from kind of this liberalism and then from Marxism and maybe it's not like spelled out as as Marxist did because Marx was a philosopher he wasn't like a uh, some kind of revolutionary handing out pamphlets exactly um you kind of from Marxism have the strains of like even like Marxism you have of course Leninism then Maoism and then you even have like Marxism de Leonism that was kind of a more American like syndicalist kind of uh, anarchism. And it's like, would, I'm interested to see what like the post-structuralists could have done had they not just taken Marx or Marxism so much on the nose, so to speak. And had they dived in a little bit more with say, um, like even Leninism or Dillianism, because they were more fleshed out at this time, and Maoism. Well, Marx, Marx, Maoism had. hadn't really uh, uh, taken shape until like the late eighties. Um, but well, a lot of the authors that we're reading are from. Like, yeah, yeah. I was, I was about to say, but they could, they could have examined Leninism or Dillianism even. So they do examine Leninism. It's all anti-authority. It's, it's a too authoritarian. I mean, but they do it more so in the way that that. What I was saying to Coop was that they just kind of really take marks on the nose that the workers will rise and and take power from the bourgeoisie and kind of like tip the scales fine. But I, I would have really liked to see what they can do in examining like because, as I said, Marxism is the rupture from liberalism and then the liberalism from Marxism is like Leninism and then Maoism, whatever, had they been able to take it further with these ruptures from 
the original rupture. And that's what, like, you know, what Maoism and, and Juche have done. And I think that's why we have more of an interest in those ideologies, which I'd love to come on here at some point and we can just talk Juche. Um, Jesus Christ. Kendall's, Kendall's we want to be, thought. we, we want to do a million and one fucking episodes yeah. with you. <laughs> We've got the rest of our lives to talk, so we'll do, do we it. We do. We do. Have, we'll make it happen to just at some point, right? Pod. We'll just podcast the revolution what? into existence. At what point can we say that now? Like, what's first? Heat death of the universe. Rest of our lives. Like, what? Like, Heat death of the universe. Is that first, <laughs> or we? Or is that my daughter's got to deal with that? Like, I'll probably die, but like, my daughter's got to deal with the. Little. Can bit. we talk about the existential guilt you feel having a child in, <laughs> in late stage capitalism? No, because I don't have a child. Getting snipped own. in January, fam. I need to get snipped too. Anyways, <laughs> but anyway. So I guess do you have any thoughts on that now that I'm just not talking to to fucking fill air? But yeah, I think that I mean <clears throat> I think it's undeniable that I think Orthodox Marxism is absolutely or an influence on many of these thinkers. Many of these thinkers were some type of Marxist at some point, with the exception I think Derrida was probably like the biggest person who was. I don't think he was ever involved in any directly in any Marxist organizations at all. But that. That influence is absolutely undeniable, and I think even at a more basic level, just looking, I think, at in terms of like the, the social relations of capital, I think really post-structuralism is kind of building on that idea and saying, okay, well, like the way that these uh, product, like the productive capacity of humanity is like, or the way that our relation to one another under capitalism is like it's got these subtle things that are snuck in just by the very like money all of that is obscuring like a lot of the oppression and the exploitation right so i what i think is they're kind of building on that little kind of kernel and saying okay look it's not only like production it's language itself it's like the fundamental Mm -hmm. aspects of western thought itself have these biases that you know, it's a small ripple here when it gets down to, like, praxis or, like, down the road. When the rubber hits the road, like, that ripple, it's kind of like a tsunami, you know what I mean? It's like a little tiny yeah. pebble can launch a much larger consequence, I guess. Yeah. Um, That's something I really took from, from Bidet was the um, Foucault with Marx was that interpolation and that just like you said, like there is there is so much importance. There's economic power and there's competent power or competency power uh, or knowledge power. That's what he says. When we're essentially that knowledge power is just what you described. And I think that's very important because both those things do have their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I th- also think in the Marxian sense, it also can be described in a way by the, ba- you know, the base and the superstructure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that base and superstructure notion is uh, that's like. A l- very similar, I think, in a lot of ways, because I'm pretty sure that I mean Marxism and post-structuralism have that anti-idealist element to them. Yeah, and I, so I think that, and maybe in particular, maybe for me at least, why I think there's a lot of overlap, at least at a certain level, like before you get to Lenin, I think, in particular, or like any of the variations on Marx beyond um, his original work. 
you have anything to say on that? No, so I'm I'm coming down. So I'm just, I'm, <laughs> oh God! I'm in the I'm in the you know when you're like coming down. So I'm you're going through that, zone. and then I'll be sober here in about 15, 20 minutes. I'll be completely but, sober. All right, now that now that we've wasted enough of your time, we'll let you take your show back over uh, and go on to the next point. Oh, n- <laughs> no worries, no worries. Um, so I just want to kind of mention, I guess even backing up, we've already gotten a little bit into the meat of the article itself, but. I think Derrida often is sort of overlooked when it comes to having a distinct actual political project. Um, He's often sort of accused of like basically creating nothing but the absence of that, the possibility for a actual political project itself. But I think pretty much what I've said, (laughs) I think he's um, astute here in just pointing out if our political institutions, and I think the text even goes to this and I'll read a pretty good, um, section from it just to articulate this a little bit better is that if our political institutions are founded on a a shitty philosophical ground then it's they need to be deconstructed if power is existing in a specific point or the belief that power is emanating from one locus then like we discussed that can sort of reaffirm the structure that you're trying to overthrow to begin with but i'll read from the text this is a pretty good i think Um, introduction and like fleshes out what I just said a little bit better. The political aspect of Jacques Derrida's thinking, in particular his critique of authority, has been somewhat neglected. However, his interrogation of rational rather, and essentialist structures in philosophy make his work crucial to any contemporary critique of political institutions and discourses, and indeed any understanding of radical politics. Derrida instigates a series of strategies or moves to unmask these suppressed antagonisms and differences within Western philosophical discourse, whose whose claims to universality, wholeness, and lucid self-reflection have been sounded since the time of Plato. His critique has important implications for political theory. His questioning of the claims of philosophy may be applied to the claims of political institution founded upon them. Derrida's discussion of the relationship a relation between metaphysical structures of essence and presence and the hierarchies and dominations they make possible, as well as the critique of oppositional and binary thinking, allow his work to be read as an assault on the place of power. The place of power here refers to the tendency of radical political philosophies and movements to reaffirm the very structure of authority they seek to overthrow. However, the logic of deconstruction operates in a way that is somewhat different from the post-structuralist logic of dispersal that characterizes the work of thinkers like Foucault and Deleuze. Derrida allows us to explore the possibility of strategies of politics that refer to a radical exteriority, an outside to power and authority. Through this outside, one can interrogate and resist authority without invoking another form of authority in its place. This is, this strikes me as like very, almost very, it's almost like a call for how I read that is almost like a call for dialectics. It's very Hegelian, and if I understand that that right, and how like pushing forward, the, you know, the political project needs to be constantly deconstructing itself and looking for other, not just looking for another more f- radical path or an answer, but also helping to better um, the the project as it goes. If I'm understanding that right, I mean, I very that's I kind of see, like I think you mentioned. I don't know if this is where in the notes you mentioned that this was similar to dialectics, 
and I kind of um, and I do agree with that because that does seem like I just said I'm just repeating myself very dialectical to me that what he's talking about there I think it's fleshed out um, that particular I definitely that's later on in the text where I thought there were that was more kind of apparent here I think he's I mean and this is even I mean obviously Saul Newman himself is kind of like a post-structuralist anarchist so I think you need to take that into context whenever you're reading this too like his approach is from that perspective of i um i guess a suspicion towards power and you know whether it be like a central party or or you know unitary government etc etc right so that's kind of like his lens that he's looking at derrida through as well but i think derrida's project is very much more radical it's like look you it's not enough to simply invert this relationship you have to tear down like you have to really really interrogate the very basis of of power and how you think about it and how you consider it and how you like even abstractly conceive about it to where it's not like oh power is this essence it's this essence that we find here within this specific place that all we have to do is go here and destroy power there and then right. you know we're all free and and we live in a paradise right, right? yeah it's not, it, i think that, that that pairs really well with um we got to we got to bring the ball back into our court for a second like always but i think this pairs really well with the thought um that that caused kind of the uh, the rupture into f- like from Mazadong thought and into Maoism from Leninism in that if you don't kind of uh, rebuild from from like the very bottom like this the base of the society if you don't change like the language and how we all interact with each other and understand each other, you're going to, even even with, like, the most well-intentioned, like, oh, everyone's, like, equitable now financially, you're still going to have these old social forms of control that exist and persist in everybody's minds. So, um, and it's why, like, when, when we've talked about it before, you say that, that you can you can see and understand and get behind, like, a kind of cultural revolution because that's kind of the only way to, um, with uh, making the society more egalit- more egalitarian and more equitable, like economically, to make this a project that can last. In that, um, you also kind of have to change how people interact with these different binary oppositions, and and truthfully, even like kind of just like eliminate them. We have um, to tear down yeah. the binaries that are causing people to respond in specific ways. Mm-hmm. And because that is its own authority, and, it, and I think if I'm gathering that too... And it's, it's own hard, kind of reactionary. And you yeah. Need to, yeah, and you need to really find a way past that. And, you know, and this is, what, you know, what especially getting from this article is that we need to, you know, work past that in order to, to have, you know, human liberation. You know, work, mm-hmm. you know, that's... Um, working class or human liberation is to to live in a society or a place that people aren't subjected to react to certain structural orders 
that are influenced by other structural orders. I'm having a hard time. This is a lot rela- of signifying. Rela- <laughs> relating this. I know. Yes, it is. I know. They need a cigarette again, right? I <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, maybe I'll hop back up and take two more hits of that sativa. And then no. <laughs> But now I don't know if I'm making sense of how I'm how no, I'm seeing it. I think s- no, you said it slow enough that it makes sense. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just gotta slow it. Slow I mean, it. I don't know how the like, he, like we mentioned, um, you know, many times. I don't know how this applies, but I think I really like the idea here. I'm gonna read this quote again. Derrida allows us to explore the possibilities of strategies of politics that refer to a radical exteriority and outside to power and authority. Mm-hmm. So, th- yeah. It, 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 oh, go ahead. It's, so it's not enough. Again, not enough to invert that. Like you have to really think about power in a totally new way and the way that it operates, instead of kind of in using that like internalized logic of the existing power structures, because that is even right. it's so ingrained in every element from language up the chain, right up the signifying chain for example, that it's like you have to break that fundamental relationship and think of it, conceive of power in a totally different way. So there would be, so like restructuring language in the best way we can by help, by redefining terms would be just, would be a form of that, right? Would that be like, like we talked about they and them, you know, just a real small example of that and making that more normal in society and being, you know, it's tearing down the gender binary and adding more and redefining how gender works. Would more that fluidity, be a good example yeah. of that? Kind of, of yes. Push forward yes, kind it? of, yes. So it's saying, okay, there's the idea of this binary distinction between genders is kind of bullshit. Like there's, there's no essence to man or woman. There's no essence mm-hmm. to these pronouns. Right. There's no essence to anything. It's all just to relate it's a series of relationships and just like we talked about how to understand really any word you have to understand the entire system like you can't take it outside of the system of language to reach some type of essence it only has a significance within that greater structure Mm -hmm. so it's kind of and dave your story about people not wanting to use they as a singular pronoun well why why is that you know what I mean? Why? They've internalized this system of essence of power in themselves to where they see, like, they imagine that this word they has some sort of, like, eternal essence that we have. Oh, you can't use that. Like, well, fuck you. Why Why can't I? Yeah, it's that ambiguity. Yeah, and if, and if you have that ambiguity, then you very clearly don't stand it one end of the pole or the other and thus that can kind of upset the balance so to speak um so is so that's how do we then how do we put that towards power structures what are we what are we looking at like when we use that way of thinking towards power structures what is that what does that mean how do we push that project forward in that in that kind of thinking or in that regard yeah because i i think that you're you're starting to zero in on something that I was just thinking about is is Cooper explained kind of the the portion of the quote um, is that in addition to like the kind of economic Marxian or Marxist uh, a kind of revolution you also have this 
if for lack of a better word, like the cultural, the just down to the fucking language, this incredible other revolutionary project that we do truly need to to also kind of occupy ourselves with. Maybe not as I don't want to say not as immediately because I don't want it to sound like it's less important, but that it's like as soon as we push through one, you're going to have to push through another like kind of different revolution, so to speak. Um, I do. No, I see the similarities, and I, and Kip, I want your thoughts on this too. Like I, like because how I see this is I look at how like because you think of I think it's like I'm not too familiar, but I know like somewhat of like like Sterner, for example, and like the complete. Um, I'm, this is gonna make sense with what I'm talking about, but with Sterner, but like the complete, and I think it was Proudhon as well, is like the complete like. Um, I'm trying to think this 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 grasping of your own, ignoring other powers like almost literally like like basking in your they're spooks right and that's and i is do you think and that is how you can like by doing that i think it also relates into that as well but also like building dual power because by doing these things by building structures apart from capitalism by finding other ways to provide each other with things by by simply work trying our best to work outside the confines of capitalist structure in the best way we can would do you think that could be a productive way or do you think that's still not enough I mean I yeah I think that I mean I would definitely adv- I mean I think that's a strategy that I believe in as even as an anarchist is like a dual power I don't know if this like would necessarily be like this is so abstract this is way like 10,000 feet away oh, yeah. from anything like I'm dual trying, power I'm, but i'm trying to like bring it like i want to like I, I cannot not be a materialist yeah and it's just you know i look at this and i'm like i i have to throw everything into a materialist analysis and maybe that's a problem especially when we're talking about this specifically but i also want to be able to like synthesize it too and try and find you know on the ground to find a penetration point exactly yeah and to find on the ground meaning for how can we push this for you know th- if there's if there's something here that we can use if there's this essence here that we can put into action how can we do that how can we do that with this thought behind that going forward as its own revolutionary project or pushing for or helping to add to our thought because there's a lot of importance here in deconstruction mm-hmm. and, Absolutely, and, and yeah. preventing ourselves from replicating things like this is where this is important but then how do we actually how do we actually do that what can we what tactics can we bring forward and and implicating that because i do think that's important you know in you know so you don't get market reforms or so you don't get you know or how do you we don't get fucking dungism right and i think that and i think part of that can kind of prevent those 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 things from happening to an extent or have their own or prevent movements that start from becoming reactionary mm-hmm. hmm. yeah I'd, Honestly, I just can't think of exactly how how it fits. Other than I know, like, I'm just asked. I mean, I don't know either. I mean, just, I you know. I do think this is it's anti. It's it's not a reaction to me. This is anti reaction because it's saying like I think the whole idea of even you know fascism reactionary shit is that they're I mean they're idealists. I think right. They're philosophical idealists and believe in the mm-hmm. place of power. They believe that. In essences, right. so I think to f- to fight against that and say no, there's things are a lot more fluid, and meaning is not this stable entity, and there's n- not this. You have to live in a more 
decentered way. Like we have to stop thinking about, I don't know, operating in these hierarchical kind of traps or even like rigid definitions. Like we need to be a lot more open to uncertainty. Yeah. But philosophically, yeah, I don't, I don't know how the fuck to negotiate that to praxis how, exactly. How to say that, yeah. Um, no, that's interesting because because you're so fucking on the money. That well, Western thought the is fascists so, are idealists. It's so. like like we just talked about. You know, the, it's the uncertainty, but the uncertainty is also like like our feelings of absence and uncertainty is also a feeling like I think it goes hand in hand or is part of like the alienation that we feel is because of the fact that uncertainty is an absence of something also means because like because absence of also can mean absence of to me and my interpretation is absence of material conditions as well because that absence of anything because the absence of anything also means lack of necessities because we don't have certain things met such as our own biological needs so i see kind of where like in a western thought in a heavy capitalist that's also commodified because we talked about with like but previously episodes that you were on and you talked about i think a little bit about uh frederick jameson and the if i can remember i can't remember exactly the conversation um we're not a we can't have a flash <laughs> can we um <laughs> no. play the music but you uh, <laughs> <laughs> you uh, um fuck no you you had talked about like Consu- I think I know where you're going. The consumer culture yeah. like, is always that we have to have something. You talked about the desire. And we have to have something. And I think consumers are the way to fill the desire because we don't have like these very like kind of real, more base level needs being met. You know, like the typical things to just sustain life, like the food, and water, shelter, whatever. presence of something means those needs are being met. And to where a lack of something and uh, a, a, the absence, the yeah. absence of something is therefore a lack of of resource, a lack of desire, or not, the, or because, not even that. Because but they, everything is beca- right. It, because it, all of it's become so commoditized, commoditized, and we don't have like that humanist social interaction. We don't have that community building that humans need. Um, that that we experience that alienation. And I think there's a relation between that and the uh, and what we've been talking about and the uncertainty and why Western, maybe some Western culture, maybe some of us have problems with that uncertainty because we can see the two related. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I think, though, it's it's a lot more abstract when you're talking about Derrida, though. So this is more so... I think that, to for an example, um, capitalism offers solutions. It offers products that are going to solve problems it it offers this false promise that it will resolve that that lacanian lack at the heart of your yeah. subjectivity but it's a false promise so it's it's kind of constructing its whole ideology and like logic upon that these kind of like this absence can ever be resolved like this tension there can ever be filled and it's you know what i mean it's offering like concrete solutions to consume this consume that and then you will be x or y or you'll feel x mm-hmm. or y so i think that's where maybe the the critique is for derrida is that 
damn, I can't even think of how I kind of lost my train of thought myself. <laughs> but um, <laughs> shit. So got to oil right. those gears. Yeah, I, that, I don't know if it necessarily um, kind of even relates directly to Derrida. But I think capitalism does have this different structure where it's saying that like there's an essentialism, there's a there's an idealism within capitalism that it can somehow resolve these more existential things like a Lacanian lack that create that generates mm-hmm. desire. And I think what he's saying is that we need to be a lot more open in our approach to a totally radical conception of of power of resistance to power in that like it's like you're totally breaking the whole the whole model of western thought mm-hmm. and constructing something that or rather, like you're you're like you're deconstructing actually, as a strategy, to try to create this something, this new nexus that's not really a nexus. It's more like a distributed network versus like this top-down structure. No, okay, no, I know for me, like part of my when I come to you know when I come to reading something so abstract, I have something like I constantly for me like my way of understanding a lot of these things is throwing is an application on other things is the i'm still trying to get i still have this central idea of like the universal so for me it's well how can i relate some ideas to the other you know and that's where i do find and then this is when it gets so abstract to this extent to where i can't relate it to something else to physical what's it called what's it called heuristics yeah am i am i doing heuristics yeah i'm which is as humans, that's what we do. We, right. We, 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 everything we do is a heuristic. Yeah, and I and think that's a little that, off topic, but that's. <laughs> and I think that that's part of why I have like my own personal like frustrations. Why I why I say like, quote unquote, like philosophy for the lack of or f- for the sake of philosophy, is because uh, just because of the very intense abstraction, um, that that's going Ma- on. <laughs> maybe <laughs> actually, maybe almost. it would make more sense if I kind of thought about it in Sterner Sterner's. Um, vernacular in that or even like an ancom or like anarchist perspective is so the whole idea of it and it's particularly like egoist anarchism is like totally displacing the idea of of power and it's like the the union of egoists for example that is maybe a good way to think about this conception of really um what was the what was the quote? Let's see. What was it again? It was like a radical exteriority. Yes, uh, Derrida allows us to explore the possibility of strategies or politics that refer to a radical exteriority and outside to power and authority. So that's probably the best analog that I could think of that maybe would would sort of make sense concretely is like totally ripping it down entirely to this very kind of nebulous system to where there's not like a clear Mm -hmm. okay well this is the state administers this no it's like the different members of the the different people in the or the different egoists in the union are constituting how things operate as individuals 
Yeah, the um, like every be, uh, what what's interesting about like the the union of egoists is that I think that in like liberal cap- neoliberal capitalism it taps into kind of that that individualism that because you don't have to morph someone from like a quote unquote individualist into a quote unquote collectivist or something, and it's like you can work from the framework of listen just like this how am i try how am i trying to approach this it's like uh all it's like these things can be good for you um and work out better as opposed to like a weird like right libertarian thing of oh i'm going to bootstrap and this is better for me but fuck everybody else um so no i think that's a really that that is a good analog because um it's kind of a good example, I think, of the application of this sort of theoretical framework, yeah. Um, because one thing that Sterner says, too, is that it's like whenever I'm this in, this egoist anarchism, for example, is allowing people to interact with other like fully actualized people. And mm-hmm. if you're operating on kind of the capitalist individuality, you're not really a fully actualized individual. Yep. Oh, absolutely. You're still because like, even it, even if you're the most prosperous, like fucking right libertarian goofball, like you're still like alienated. There's and still an alienation to yeah, others. And, yeah, and you're you are perpetrating that alienation. It's you're still and because of like the wealth you have, the position you have, like your race your sex whatever you have this uh inordinate amount of power too in in the way that you you dictate down the line like through your company or whatever also has this impact on people and upholds the status quo yeah um no god damn I feel like I should have come at this as like a union of egoists, like Sterner thing, and I feel like it would have clicked so much easier. No, that's what I mentioned earlier when <laughs> I talked when I talked about. <laughs> You're you know, definitely Sterner. right on, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's what you know I mentioned earlier. I talked about the Sterner idea, you know, that ideology and the dual power and Proudhon and looking past other um, reliance as a way from co- um, being commodified and relying on those structures. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that we will, you know, continue to support. And I think that is, and I do think to. to as a culmination of, of of this topic in general, um, is right now the most effective way is um, building dual power. So like you know, join a union. You know, give other people food, gross gross shit. Um, talk to your neighbor. Fuck your neighbor. Um, consensually. Consensually. Um, you know these these kinds of things that that come from being just just a positive social experience. Like I think just being you know, not to be a Fred Rogers socialist again, but just being like like warm and inviting and accepting to your you know, kindness is its own revolutionary fact. And I think that's part of like what this is because this kindness and acceptance and open discussion that is based on on a, not only not just a working class mentality of of class consciousness, but also the fact of just like warmth, access, acceptance, opening discussion is one way of of building that apart from that binary mm-hmm. because it it's that's it that's it. I'm <laughs> waiting for someone to take over. 
No, because I think that even in, like, the confines of, of our own, like, quote-unquote, like, well, not quote-unquote, but of our own, um, like, kind of more Maoist, like, ideological leanings, um, like, yeah, there's there's a party apparatus of some kind, um, but it is still, like, just, it is it is comprised of individuals, and individuals want that self-fulfillment. And, I mean, that's why all three of us are involved in, in some capacity in some kind of, like, revolutionary project. Um, and I think that... that right, because we find that self-fulfillment actualization and the way that we believe and the way that we understand to find it is through some form of revolution. We just have our... Mm-hmm. disagreements on how to get there but that is kind of what drives i do think that there is that sterner ideological mechanism um that he that he has described uh, behind a lot of that i do i do see the merit in that which um our good friend uh, john paul talks about that a good bit too as yeah. well and in the discord shouts out to tan arco toast who we want on the show really really bad in the near future and for anyone listening, if y'all haven't listened to Toast's episodes with Coop, please it's fucking do. One of my do. favorite episodes. Seriously, um, like to- Toast and us would disagree on many a thing, but incredibly principled comrade, and absolutely love talking to them. They're fucking wonderful. But yeah, so <laughs> do you have anything else that that? No, you I think throw I just into that I just or? really want. I know that there was so much more we could discuss. Because I know it's getting close to wrap-up time, which is depressing. As we have <laughs> Coop's show for As we have Coop's show. <laughs> Fuck! We got we to gotta get over that. We're so... We take over things. It's because we're, we're both very boisterous and loud. That's why. But it's funny that you mentioned Sterner because I'm doing... So episode 100, I do have John coming on. JP. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. He's coming on. We're doing actually this article. The uh, It's uh, it's Max Sterner, the last Hegelian or the first post-structuralist um, which is something that first I'm really interested in because I think there's a spe- particularly Ooh, when it's we're talking about Derrida and Stirner there's a, so much overlap like they're almost oh yeah it's yeah. it's crazy and so th- I've definitely made that connection so many times and like and I've read a, several articles that are kind of like putting that um, putting that forward too maybe like subtly and not like overtly but I think it's really interesting because that's Stirner's whole idea is attacking metaphysics, just like Derrida's critique is totally founded on critiquing Western metaphysics. So d- yeah, this conversation for, for really s- helped me see the, yeah, the no, relationship. Yeah, that's the crazy, two. and I feel like, God, fucking damn! Did someone like drawn this this these lines through for me at the beginning? I feel like this would would have been such a different like episode. We need comedy <laughs> professors. Yeah, but no, the um. Ah, fuck. Yeah, no, I think what what Derrida really talks about in, like, like deconstruction and and whatever else, everything is just fucking spooks. (laughs) Really, so... It is, yeah, because there's no... There's there's no... Again, this is kind of an attack on essences, right? Yeah. Essence equals spook. So, goddamn. Interesting. Are you ever going to put that beer-making kit to use? That you have over there? None of it's good now. What do you mean none of it's good? The ingredients go bad. Oh, there's ingredients and shit in it yeah. too? Well, why the fuck did you let that happen? Because What I the fuck, dude? You could have made your own beer. I couldn't drink Look all at that giant ju- ass jug. That's myself. like, imagine two of those doing like 120 hands. Like Edward 120 hands. That's a those. lot of beer. Oh, hell yeah. But anyway. 
I I think I think my thinking muscle is exhausted for tonight. <laughs> so I could have done this for oh, hours. I, I totally could. But like also Yeah, but it's also like it's it's to that relation that it's also to like that thing of presence. Like I have this is if we were just in all in a room just smoking a joint, not <laughs> even podcasting, I could do this for hours. Yeah, no, I feel like the conversation would have been pretty much the same. So Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But just it could have just hours and just in a place that I can openly smoke. So my couch. But that's all right, Coop, you coming up. We'll get started <laughs> on my couch sometime. Yeah. I'm trying to find at least maybe some other <laughs> something else that we haven't touched on tangentially. Yeah. Cuz I know there was there was like a lot in this article that I really really enjoyed. I know. I I knew we wouldn't come. I'm like there's so much just yeah. between like like Chris and I talking before. That's why I made that's why I started typing notes and I'm like, "No. There's already That's why I didn't. I'm <laughs> like, "Well, there's enough so much." I there was yeah. And you already had so much prepared for it. There was so much to go off on. I mean, this is there's so many topics and things to cover and ways to take it in different directions. You know, that's it's it's so much fucking fun, yo. Have have I ever told y'all about the uh, the Engels description of Sterner? No, I um, I have to, I have to send it to you. It was kind of a long thing, but he goes, he's talking of Sterner. He's, he writes, Sterner, full of dignity, proclaims, "You bend your willpower and you dare to call yourselves free." You become accustomed to slavery, down with dogmatism, down with the law. And that kind of reminded me a little bit. The reason I brought that up is there's a section here, and it's titled Law, Justice, and Authority, where uh, Newman writes, Derrida argues that the authority of law is questionable and to a certain extent illegitimate. This is because, <laughs> <laughs> this is because the authority that supposedly grounds laws, law rather, is legitimized only when law is instituted. That means that the authority upon which law is established is, strictly speaking, non-legal because it had to exist prior to law. Therefore, the original act of instituting laws is an illegitimacy, a violence, since the origin of authority, the foundation or ground, the position of the law can't by, defini by definition rest on anything but themselves. They are themselves violence without ground. If I didn't know better, I would have thought that's <laughs> right. a Sterner quote. That's directly I, I Sterner. That's, that's Sterner, 100%. I was about to say Derrida is just Sterner 100-some-odd years later. Pretty much, I mean, yeah. there is, I mean, there's, yeah, that is, that, Mother, that is motherfuckers say reincarnation don't exist. Uh, let's see. I thought, too, that there was, like, I, I noted this here, like, I felt like there was some self-crit kind of going on a little bit in the text. Where Here, I'll read you this passage. Moral judgment must always be self-questioning and cautious because its foundations are not absolute. Unlike much moral philosophy grounded on the firm foundations of human essence, deconstructive ethics has no such privileged place and therefore enjoys no such self-assurance. Yeah, that's really, that is, that is, that's good. That is, I don't think we got that's that. That's also Sterner like too in like his whole, <laughs> Sterner's pretty, you know, he rejects morality as well. Yeah, and I I have a, cur I mean, it's a more cursory understanding of Sterner, but now I knew that. Well, that's such a good thing too. Like that is such a good thing to have as self-crit is what's important in all aspects of wherever, whatever we quite fall 
And how are we looking at anything? Self-credit is so important because it prevents dogmatism. I mean, it's very... Yeah, and that's... so important. That's one of the things that I think, uh, like, per structuralism, namely, like, Derrida is so, uh, like, one of the greatest things to take from it is be... Like, like I said, it provides the framework for this constant kind of cycle of self-criticism. And, yeah, like you said, like, it lets the movement have its own kind of like dialectic uh, di- dialectic and um not fall fall into the, yeah the dogmatism well, so much like of every what online, defined, online bastard ever i mean so much of like what I, if i can interpret some of it right is is defining defining and holding s- and to strictly to a specific set of morals wor- which they come from you know other signifiers that aside yeah. it's still it's dogmatism and when you don't self-constantly question and reevaluate those yeah and it, that and that's something i've started to kind of operate with on on my own uh or my own like personal life like the whole like concept of morality because i i had a discussion with my mom about that because she she was talking about uh someone at a store like stealing a fucking Gatorade on their break and i'm like you're fucking fine like what makes that moral or immoral? steal everything you can <laughs> From I'm Walmart. I'm That's like why I use the <laughs> breakout. I'm like you're not. <laughs> That's why I'm like you're not hurting like your neighbor or your community. I'm like, the fucking business ain't paying you. They ain't paying the people. I that steal put shit the from shit Walmart factory once a week. Water. I steal shit praxis. from Walmart. That's where. That's <laughs> actually that you're doing exactly the praxis that we couldn't figure out. That's how you implement a <laughs> radical exterior <laughs> exteriority, my friend. You're doing it. You, you steal food. Tony's exactly. pizzas from Walmart. <laughs> Un- literally. Fucking literally. Tony pizza, some pizza rolls, um, my daughter's clothes. I'll buy clothes. I'll get I'll get her some of her cl- like pajamas and stuff from from Walmart because I can just not scan it. And just I don't know now they might be busting your balls. I literally did this last week. Oh, they, they did. <laughs> I okay. Literally. I literally got my daughter some free clothes. Yeah, why'd they do all free. these fucking upgrades I mean, they stole then? From us, but. You know, our our what? discussion on morality, I think, should bring up this. There's a distinction, and I don't know that I really understand exactly the difference between ethics and morality, but there is a distinction, and that was one of the more interesting aspects of the article from Newman, too, was he's talking about <laughs> Derrida, like an ethical Derrida, which I don't think you really kind of like automatically think of him as addressing ethics at all. So I think... This is really, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I want to read this passage because I think it's super interesting and goes to that as well. He's saying, This radical outside for Derrida is ethical. The act of forcing philosophy to confront its own structures of exclusion and repression is a thoroughly ethical gesture. Derrida is influenced here by Emmanuel Levinas, who tries to think the limits of the Hegelian tradition by showing the point at which it encounters the violence of an ethical outside, of an alterity that is ethical in its exclusion and singularity. Deconstruction may be seen, therefore, as an ethical strategy which opens philosophy to the other. So we got a fucking, we got a Hegel reference here. Jesus Christ, <laughs> that's a lot to unpack. Um, I mean, when you... And I'm going to try to dumb it the fuck down. When you, that's... That's that's all we ever try to do. Because <laughs> that's the only way we can we can understand. Right. Yeah. Um so but what he I mean he uses ethics, but what is 
Is he defining ethics by the act of deconstruction? I'm not gathering that. I <sighs> what is is there a definition of ethics in there? I feel in me, I could be t- totally fucking wrong on this, but just like at first, like kind of like listen, it feels like. It feels like ethics as I think I it almost feels like it goes back to like what we've been saying, like the like the cycle of, of self criticism to actually establish some kind of equitability or equity because equitability ain't a word. Equity amongst like people by like destroying these binaries because having maintaining these binaries and other eyes is therefore unethical yes. because it prevents the the yes equity. yes exactly yeah. yeah you got it yeah right so yeah, yeah okay. he's talking yeah. about building something yeah. ex like an exterior something yeah. that's more encompassing rather than exclusion yeah and generating the other an actual inclusive and like egalitarian sphere so just well, you <laughs> fuck your neighbor essentially god did you like get a hot neighbor that moved in? Like all you've been doing is wanting to fuck him or what? No, I just we're just me. Na- everyone's <laughs> your neighbor, dude. Everyone is your neighbor. We're all working class people. I'm just imagining get with the program. I'm just imagining Fred Rogers at the end of I want to fuck my neighbor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, we are not doing Fred Roger horny Fred Rogers <laughs> right now. This is not. I will become a reactionary the moment that is brought up again. <laughs> oh my! That's a bit that's going in my back pocket, horny Fred Rogers. Oh God! <laughs> this is pretty good on that note, actually. So this is a system of non-dialectical, non-binary difference differences. It threads together differences and antagonisms in a way that neither orders nor effaces them. Infrastructures are not essentialist. Their very essence is that of a non-essence. It does not have a stable or autonomous identity, nor is it governed by an ordering principle or authority. It is a place that eschews essence, authority, and centrality. It is characterized by its very inability to constitute an identity to form a place. Crickets. No, I'm just no, I'm thinking that just kind of to me that just kind of morally continued just what like what was said, like what Chris said about the um finding the um you know, eget egalitarian 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 society through not the binary, through breaking that down, and that is what's deemed ethical. Through a new paradigm. I mean it just kind of to me that just kinda of seems like a repeat of that from what I gathered from that. Well, I think that's gonna wrap up our conversation today. I think we're all a little bit spent after going down the the Derrida rabbit hole today, but uh, uh, if there's anything y'all want to plug, any upcoming guests you're really excited about, etc., plug the podcast, plug whatever whatever you want. I'm so like I don't want to like I'm so. Did you give us plugging? Did y'all give Twitter? Because did y'all give Twitter handles it. or anything? Early? I don't think you did. I don't remember. We'll do that now, I guess. Oh, uh, I don't give a shit. At least um, for the podcast, we're not right? fucking clout chasers. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Podcast is at mandatory OT. That's yeah, it. so a um, couple things. First, I think outside of my like cursory exploration of 
of egoism and sterner. I think I'm going to go down that rabbit hole next um, when I feel like reading again because we've been doing nothing but fucking reading for our most recent episodes. I mean, that's what's so much fun <laughs> about all of this is because I will, like, you know, the point of all of this is to take things away mm-hmm. from it. You know, not just listeners, but for us, us, you know, as having these conversations. So this is like what we've been talking about is, you know, and all this stuff is stuff I'm going to be constantly thinking about and chewing on for, you know, probably literally ever. You know, it's going to constantly add into that um, to the revolutionary thought that is my brain is trying to be. Yeah, it's like if if Sterner can help me like synthesize Derrida and then I can like take some of that and put it toward a cultural revolution. I'm (laughs) going to fucking do that. Um, So. Yeah, no, this was super tight, Coop. Thanks for having us on. Um, we do have some. We do have some pretty, really cool upcoming guests that we're really excited uh, for. Um, I guess I'll spill the beans. No, on. I, no, we're going to. We'll uh, get. We'll give Coop the, the moment in the sun for this. So, uh, upcoming episode that I'm super. Well, both we're of us both are super stoked fucking about. over the moon on. It's going to be a behemoth for us it's to do. Be six of us total. It's, yeah, um, I think there's six of us, and it's going to be the two of us. It's going to be Mel from Coffee with Comrades, um, Max, who you had on from Working People. JP, oh, nice. JP will be on. He's awesome. coming down from Pittsburgh to record oh, nice. IRL. Um, and then Brett from Rev Left. And we are doing a great big T- what we call tendency <laughs> roundtable about what is tendency, how can we dispel online LARPing, um, how can we, how do we counter reactionaries, how do we, you know, combat. You know, things, you know, even either be in our everyday lives or, you know, in overall state defense, all those kinds of things. It's Um, like things that you want to do in your community. What things does your community need? What what things do you have to kind of settle for? Like, what are the compromises you've had to make? Because this revolutionary project's messy. Um, Organizing is messy. You can't always do uh, the most pure thing and sometimes yeah just compromises have to be made and so we're just going to talk all about that and that's what we got like you know we got and, and left solidarity <laughs> yeah left solidarity and just you know people of all different stripes of uh, from different perspectives that we really can take from and we're really excited to have that conversation mm-hmm. that's going to be incredible so yeah. um that'll be out in the what the middle of october yeah it should be out mid-october maybe late october um it'll see we'll see how fucking hard it is to edit we also have our second part of our redneck red guard coming out in a couple weeks which I'm super excited for where we did. If you listen to our last episode, Redneck Red Guard Part <laughs> One, uh, right, uh, we we really talk about the Young Patriots and the Rainbow Coalition and join a lot of the Chicago organizing, but also like the organizing of 040 in Philadelphia and White Lightning in um, New York. So kind of these Marxist Leninist movements that that in Amer- that were happening in America during the 60s and early 70s. Yeah, inspired by like Mao Zedong thought they organized alongside um, the and Black Panthers. And they were inspired by like Fra- uh, Franz Fanon and decolonization. Yeah. And these. So we kind of take a lot from that. And, and they're Appalachian migrants, which I mean, we're Appalachian, so it was very near and dear to our heart. Uh, it's pretty much our book report on um, a book called Hillbilly Nationalist Hillbilly Nationalist, Urban Race Rebels, and Black Power by Amy Sonny and James Tracy. Um, for us, it was, it was I think, a, a, a worldview-altering book. It was incredible. Absolutely. You know, it's something that and we also talk about some very uh, hard-to-talk uh, topics like, quote, white ethnic revolutionary <laughs> nationalism. <laughs> yes. Um, I will, not, sure I will <laughs> not say anything further. You must listen to the <laughs> yeah, episodes. Yeah, you must listen to the episodes. Um, 
if that made you bristle, please come on over. Um, <laughs> listen to the shows. Um, talk to us. We, Which we I say that, but I don't think we actually talk about it till part two. So yeah, we'll part two. <laughs> Bait but and switch. Anyway, so the real plugs. So the real plugs. Um, find us on Mandatory OT. Uh, or find us Mandatory OT on Twitter at Mandatory OT. If you want, um, I am somewhat active on it. I retweet more than anything. I'll occasionally ship posts or sometimes I'll occasionally. I don't even ship posts as much as I just post about how much I have to pay massive debt and live under capitalism. Um, but I am at Stalin Grind. Um, if you want, fine. And you can find me at Real Wumbo Moth. I mostly just retweet. I'm like a fucking Twitter <laughs> grandma, essentially. You very much are. Um, um, I mostly do everything um, from the uh, yeah, you, you're actual way, account. You're way more active on the actual account yeah, than I am. Yeah, at Mandatory OT again. Um, please, f- more important than that, check out West Virginia IWW, WestVirginiaIWW.org, at West Virginia IWW on Twitter, slash West Virginia IWW on Facebook. Um we're trying to do some real cool things. We have a, an ongoing clothing drive for the city of Wheeling. Um, we're trying to eradicate some some shitty patriot front white nationalist propaganda. Um, trying to organize future out of work healthcare workers because of the closing of the Ohio Valley Medical Center. Um, we're trying to raise funds for Ohio Valley uh, Pride Office. You know, yeah. we're doing we have, yeah have um. We're actually doing like a garage sale of like all this stuff of a comrade of ours actually is a very good dumpster diver and gets like these really cool shit of people like where the rich like parts unu- of town. unused clothes and everything. Yeah, people throw out like clothes that are just these fucking nice ass, you know, all kinds of things from these rich apartments. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, you know, all those kinds of stuff. We got So we do got anarchy. Anarchist, but uh, dumpster diving. <laughs> Naturally. Actually, I think they're a Maoist, which is what's yeah, funny. Yeah, he's, he's a Maoist. That's the best part. Um, but yeah, um, we're going to try to figure out something to help out. We have a local pride office here. If you want to help out, reach out to us on Twitter or email WestVirginiaIWW@protonmail.com. Um, they're in some financial uh, trouble, which sucks because it's a fucking awesome space. It's super inclusive. The people are fucking incredible. Um and this is a space that um, a rural Appalachian town really, really, really fucking needs. So if you want to make any sort of financial contribution, please, please, please hit us up. You can just um, yeah, directly just, message yeah. us, whether on Twitter or email us or, or reach out to the Western IWW, and we can make that happen. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, just listen to the show. Um, listen to fucking podcasts with Cooper Cherry. You're already doing it, so keep doing it. Coop's a, a best friend of the pod at this point, so... Yeah, we're done with our, <laughs> like, like, 10 minute long fuck. plugs. No so. plugs, <laughs> and then you go into, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, longer, we really more, longer and more substantial yeah. than the episode. We don't do plugs, <laughs> right? but you yeah. Here's our entire <laughs> schedule for the next six months. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, once again, Chris, Dave, Mandatory OT, thanks so much for coming on podcast. Care of Cooper Cherry. We are signing off, goddammit. Good night. Thanks for having us, homie. Peace. Bop, bop. The very rules of eating, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is the whole state of things, in view of violence without object This is the typical violence of Violence because what happens there is the murder of the queen, the vanishing point of reality.
Let's not have a misunderstanding here. What I meant is the following. With nothing left but recycled, whitewashed, lobotomized people, as in block work orange.